Good evening. We're here for uh, Relational Theology number three, third in our series. Uh, for those of you from Redemption Hills, you realize that because of the coronavirus, we're not meeting. I'm recording this at home. My lovely wife has set up pictures of all of my family and grandkids, so I have faces to look at while I'm preaching, but and Mary's as well. So just so you're aware of what's happening, she's uh, making funny faces at me. So, relational theology number three. Last week, we saw God's original order established. Man was made for relationship and rulership. And with the fall, we saw that that original order was lost. Both relationship and the rulership that God intended. We saw that the Bible now says that Satan is the ruler of this world because of that. Uh, But now we see that God begins again with a revelation of himself and his ways through a series of covenants. Uh, You can kind of picture the covenant as a donut, the center being the actual covenant and the rest of the donut being the literature written about that. So it's uh, more of, some call it the canon, so it's covenant and canon or the literature surrounding the covenant. So while the covenant might actually only be a couple of verses, it might be a number of verses uh, or a number of chapters even that uh, talk about that. So the Noah covenant is from Genesis 5, 11, uh, sorry, Genesis 5 through chapter 11, verse 9. And then we have the Abrahamic covenant, which is Genesis eleven, ten through chapter 38. Then the Moses covenant with Moses is Genesis 39 through Judges 21, 25. And then David is the book of Ruth through Second Chronicles. And Jesus, the new covenant, is the New Testament. Uh, and all of the New Testament talks about that. And so if we look at those, we see that there, there actually is a specific covenant, but then a whole lot written about it. And so those, those are the high points that we're going to be touching on. Uh, we're only going to get the high points. There's so much more so much depth and prophetic uh, statements and stuff that we would see that we won't have time to, to deal with. Uh, just for the sake of time, I'm, I'm excited to get more toward the, uh, the new covenant, which is exciting, more exciting. Uh, for instance, let me just give you an example of some of the depth. Uh, in the genealogy leading to Noah, Genesis 5, 6 to 32, God lists, these the guys Adam had a son called him Seth who had Enosh who had Kenan who had Mahalalel who had Jared who had Enoch who had Methuselah who had Lamech who had Noah but if you look at their definition of their names and Richard and Kathy Burke pointed this out to me uh, Adam means man Seth means appointed Enosh means mortal Kenan means sorrow, man appointed, moral, so, mortal sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch, Enoch, teaching. Man appointed, moral sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, the despairing. And Noah, rest. So with that if you actually looked up those definitions, you'd see that God's planted something 
of a prophetic statement about his ultimate restoration. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. That's pretty amazing. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there. So as I said to you the first night, read the Bible. Start there, read the Bible. Especially in these days with uh, the restricted movement and isolation of the uh, coronavirus and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it's, it's okay to watch Netflix occasionally, but there's so much more. So it gives you a great opportunity to read through the Bible and to color code the things that God reveals about himself and his plan. Uh, as I told you the, the first week, let me just remind you, you have a great opportunity to do that. One of the other great illust uh, illustrations of this, uh, the depth of God's word is that uh, when you look at all the years, when uh, Methuselah was born, how long he lived before he had Lamech, who had Noah, and Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, you find that Methuselah died the year the flood came. Methuselah was, six, was 969 years old, and he died the year of the flood. So he was there to see Noah build this whole ark that God had told him about. So, starting with Genesis 6 through 11, 9, we're going to begin with the uh, Noah covenant. So if you grab your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read probably to about 11, and then we're going to jump forward. But let's start there. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet the days, his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now this is a kind of interesting statement, but it seems like that there were these spiritual beings that had relationships with women and produced these giant offspring. Uh, I don't want to get a whole into that, but if you're, if you're really interested more, Dr. Michael Heiser wrote a, a great book called The Unseen Realm. And uh, you can find more of the argument of who these are and where they came from. They're part of the, uh, the spiritual realm and there's different uh, beings in the spiritual realm. There's God, but there's angels, there's principalities, there's uh, all kinds of spiritual beings. And he talks more about that from the whole word. I won't take the time to go through all that, but I encourage you if you're interested, uh, pick up Michael Heiser's book and it explains a bit more about this. Verse five, and the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually or every thought of his thoughts was only evil all the day long. Pretty bad situation. Uh, the, the fall just tells you how bad the fall was. 
uh, and the result uh, and its impact. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. That word sorry is translated a whole lot of different ways. Repent, relent, change, change the mind, sorry, or comfort. It comes from a root that literally means to breathe intensely because of deep emotion. So God was grieved, he was sorry, he was repenting, he was uh, unhappy. Uh, the, the reason it also can mean comfort is because literally it means sighing with those who sigh because it, it literally means to breathe intently or to sigh. And so it also says he was grieved in the heart to, to hurt or to have pain. So here's God's situation uh, that he's just unhappy with what's happening. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah was a just man, perfect in generations. Noah walked with God and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence or lawlessness. Just reaffirming how bad the situation was. And then uh, from verse uh, 13, God institutes the whole thing of Noah. He says he's going to destroy them and Noah's going to build an ark. And he goes through and it rains. Uh, many believe that the rain was for the very first time. Uh, and over in uh, chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, in verse Verse 5 of chapter 2, 5 and 6 says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field was grown, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And so it's, it seems to indicate that there wasn't rain, though it doesn't actually say that it, it continued not raining, though there is an indication from... Uh, God's covenant when we get to uh, chapter 9 that that was, was the case. And so obviously there is this the whole story of the flood. Just an interesting aside, uh, almost every culture in uh, history has some sort of myth or story of a universal flood. And so the Bible's not the only record of that, but, but almost every ancient civilization had some record of a flood that took place. And so then we see that, that uh, it rained. Where that came from, again, as we talked about last week, the possibility of there being waters above the earth and waters below, that the that, that, that waters above actually came down verse... Uh, Chapter 8, uh, I'm sorry, that's the end. Uh, sorry, chapter 7, verse 11. 600 the year of Noah's life, the second month, the 17th day of the month. The fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. 
And rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So it seems like there were some sort of uh, cataclysmic earthquakes. Again, some would point to this as the uh, separations of the original landmass uh, and that the windows of heaven being broken up was the uh, the outer ring of waters. And uh, then it says that was all finished. But jump forward to with me to Genesis chapter 9 from verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons. They've come out of the ark. The flood has, has receded. And uh, they've come out of the ark. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even for the even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with this blood that is life. And then it goes on something about blood. And then back in verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and, mul- and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, and all that go out of the ark, every beast on the earth. So God's covenant was not only with Noah, but it was with all the animals. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I've made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and you. The fact that he uses the rainbow as a sign is an indication that it hadn't rained because if if there were constant rainbows, uh, you know, obviously if you understand the physics of a rainbow, it's when the sun shines through the water particles of a cloud and the sunlight is actually... Uh, broken into a spectrum is when we see rainbows. And so that's a a situation that exists still today, but it had existed before that, it seems. Otherwise, it'd be a kind of funny sign for God to use if it was something that had happened already. And so he says again, you know, that his rainbow is is a sign of the covenant. Shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth and the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I've established between me and all flesh, which is on the earth couple of things to, to notice here is, one, that God institutes this covenant. He starts with this terminology, and God says, I'm establishing a covenant with you. Uh, he's the one who institutes it, and there's really no expectation, no real expectation on Noah to do anything. 
It's not like, I'm going to do this if you'll do this. It's just basically God declaring something he's going to do. Uh, and, and the bottom line is that he won't destroy by a flood. Now, it's actually quite an important thing if you realize if it hadn't rained prior to that, the only time they ever saw rain was when it rained and there was a flood. Now, afterwards, if it's going to rain again, the first thing they're going to think is another flood. And so God is actually declaring something that that they can trust him, that he won't create another flood that will destroy all mankind. So it seems like that he's saying that it hadn't rained prior to that, and it was raining from that point. And so now there would be clouds rather than a mist coming up from the ground. The rain would come from the clouds that would, would come down, and in the clouds would be, with the sunlight, would be the uh, the sign of the covenant, which is... The rainbow. Really fun. So what does this tell us about God? Okay, again, the covenants and the literature around it is God revelation of himself. He's beginning to reveal again to a totally fallen world that was had totally lost. He take, started over, he took Noah and his family, he started over, and he starts revealing himself. And uh, so what do we see from this canon, from this uh, portion of scripture? One of the things we see is that God has emotions. He was sorry. He was grieved. Uh, remember, we talked about that last week, the importance of God being uh, sequential. And that if he's not sequential, if he doesn't have sequence in his being he can't do one thing after another he can't uh, experience emotion because obviously early on he was happy with the way he had created the earth he said it was good and now he's sad and so so we see uh, see his uh, that he has emotion which is important as we get later on it's important to note I would highlight that a certain color in my color coding. It tells us a little bit about God. God's revealing something of himself. It also reveals uh, that he has instituted this covenant thing. Uh, Basically, he can be trusted. He won't destroy the planet by flood again, but he makes it a point six times here He talks about this covenant, this everlasting covenant he's made. And I think he's establishing that he can be trusted, which is the foundation of all relationship. It affects every relationship. We can't really enter into a relationship with people that we don't trust. And that's why the the, uh, foundation of marriage is trust. That's why... Faithfulness in marriage is such an important issue. We'll see later on, as we get in greater revelation, God talks about his faithfulness. We think often that that simply means that he's going to provide for us, but his faithfulness is that he will maintain his side of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Just like a husband or a wife will be faithful to one another, it's a relational term. And it's really based on trust. So the very first thing that God's beginning to reveal about himself is that he's trustworthy. And to me, that speaks of his beginning to rebuild the foundation of relationship, which was lost.
What does this tell us about the condition of man? First, in chapter 9, it tells us that the uh, animals shall fear man. That's new. That wasn't the case before. So you have this corruption on the earth that has affected not only that God had to bring some judgment, but it's affected the relationship that man has with the animals. Now the animals are fearful of man. Uh, it also tells us that God says a couple of times for Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply, which uh, relates to the very first God's original order. But it doesn't say anything about uh, authority being restored. There's nothing in this. Even though he started over, there's no authority being restored. And we're going to see as we go along that that doesn't happen until we get to Jesus. The new covenant where we get authority being restored. Uh, Just a point for you to be aware of that. Uh, Again, the rainbow being the sign. Uh, But if we go, oh, just as an aside, one of the things we don't see, well, well, it says God was sorry and grieved that he had made man and things had gotten so bad that there only were continually so much violence and, and everything. It never says he was angry. I find that quite interesting. Almost as if God is, doesn't have much expectation of man. It just doesn't say he's angry. Uh, but then we get over through this and back into chapter 11. And uh, the, the whole story of the Tower of Babel, the whole earth had one language and one speech. This is generations later, these guys had multiplied. They took God seriously. They multiplied. That was the fun part. Came to pass as they journeyed to the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Uh, they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth seems to indicate there's still an independence sin still remains they were doing it on their own we can reach into the heavens or the spirit realm. We can do something and make a name for ourselves. And so even though God's starting over, he's still dealing with the heart of man, which is still independent and rebellious. Later on, we see that there were giants again. You would think that all the giants that existed before the flood all died in the flood, which they probably did. But if these were spiritual beings that had interacted with women, then it's very possible that in their attempt to reach into the spirit realm, they opened up a door again for uh, this reproductive deal that take place uh, that produced more giants. Obviously, we see later on when we get to David and others that there were other giants. Where did they come from if they all died uh, during the flood? But it's very possible that when it says that let us build a tower whose top is in the heavens, they're actually trying to reach into the spirit realm. And so this is an indication of some sort of uh, independence from God. Uh, 
And so then we see that the culmination from chapter 11, verse 10, we start getting into the literature surrounding the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, it's the genealogy that leads to Abraham. And uh, we see all these, uh, all these guys, we see where Abraham came from. Uh, and then chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 1, And the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 7, And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he's, he's traveling. God says, I'm going to make you a nation. And he says, I'm going to give you a land. So God's covenant with Abraham, and we're going to see as we look at it a little bit, is to give him a, make him a nation and give him a land. There's nothing about God starting a religion. Abraham had no conception of that. God was actually saying, I'm going to give you a land. So over in chapter uh, 15. Uh-huh. Everyone has a question. Go ahead. Not really a question. I just noticed in verse 1, he says, to a land that I will show you, which to me also indicates this beautiful restoration of relationship included in the obvious restoration of rulership. Yeah. We're going to get to that later because he doesn't actually say he's going to be with him until he gets to his kids. He does say, I'll show you where you're going to, where you're going to go. So that, that's a good point. But this is chapter 15. And uh, from verse 15, uh, God's reiterating. Here he actually, he says he's, he's going to choose them, but here he actually creates a covenant. Gotta shut that phone off. From verse 15, now as you, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God's actually, Abraham's fallen into sleep. God's in the process of creating a covenant with him. And in this, he says, I'm gonna give you this land, but it's gonna be in the future. It's going to actually be four generations before you come because there's something that has to take place. As I come to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. These are the animals that he had cut the sacrifice. On the same day, God made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river to the river Euphrates. So God is... Again, confirming his covenant, but it's a covenant to make him a nation and to establish this nation in a land. Reaffirmed again, chapter 17 from verse 1. And Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. 
Almost like he's saying, I'm doing this. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, being uh, exalted father to the father of, of nations. And I will make you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you in your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout this generation. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So in this covenant, we see something different happening where the covenant with Noah didn't actually have any real expectation of Noah. Now God expects something of Abram. He's saying, I'm going to do this, but I expect something of you. And it is that you have to agree to this by doing this sign, which is circumcision. Uh, Which is, if you think about it, is really a really poor sign. It's, It's something rather hidden. It's not like you could meet someone on the road and know that they were uh, in this covenant with God. He didn't change them. Uh, it was something hidden, which I think has reflections later on when there is a new covenant and the circumcision is of the heart, not of the foreskin. Uh, so, but God's establishing something and he makes it very clear that it has to do with this land and this nation. And in case we missed it, he says that again a couple times, but he reaffirms it with the, uh, the next generation. Uh, and it, with Isaac in chapter 26, From verse 3, he says to Isaac, dwell in this land and I will be with you. That's interesting because he never said that before. Though he said, he, as Mary said, he would point out to Abraham the land he was to, to live in. He actually is saying, I will be with you now and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So he's reaffirming again this covenant that is about the land. And then one more reaffirmation in Genesis 28. Now, this is with Isaac's son, Jacob. And uh, Isaac actually says something to Jacob, but then Jacob actually has this situation where he's, he has this uh, experience while he's asleep, this dream, 
and verse 13, the Lord, Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and all your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. And he said, surely God's in this place. And so again, reaffirming that covenant. So what do we see here? We see that God's initiating a covenant, but it's also seeing the beginning of the restoration of both relationship and rulership, as Mary poured out. The relationship, God's going to show them. The relationship, I will be with you. The relationship that now there's some interaction. Initially with Noah, it was pretty much one-sided. God said, I'm, I'm never going to destroy again. Didn't really have expect much of Noah. Now there's an expectation. You have to agree to this from the standpoint that you have to acknowledge that I'm. we're entering into this covenant and you have to agree to the sign. The sign of the covenant with Noah was the the rainbow and the cloud. Now the sign is much more personal. It's an individual response. It's not just on God's part, but it's on uh, Abram and his offspring part. So we're seeing two things, the restoration of both relationship and rulership. Here's the idea. If they're going to learn to rule, they need a place to learn and to practice. So God starts in his restoration process and says, I will make of you a nation to give you land. So God's restoration of his original order starts with a people, and we're going to see later, it extends to every individual. But his covenant starts with a group of people, and he's teaching them relationship and rulership. The two are tied together and we're going to see as we get into the other covenants especially the next one the Moses covenant uh, how that gets greater revelation more understanding more fleshed out but we see here that God who is this relational being that we talked about uh, last week his original order he actually chooses this terminology, I will make a covenant with you. The greatest, it's more than a contract, but it's something of a tying together of us joining. And God uses that terminology as he begins to reveal himself and his plan uh, to a new group of people. So it's important that we, we grasp that because we'll see as we go along those two things, relationship with God and rulership continuing as we see the revelation of these covenants and we see them uh, first with the nation and then ultimately with individuals. So uh, this is going to be a short one this evening uh, simply because you don't have a chance to uh, ask questions and I didn't want to get into the Moses covenant because it'll be much longer Uh, but just you begin to see that the revelation as I drew on the board last week, if you could picture this, these donuts indicating each covenant and the canon or the lid around it getting bigger from left to right on your page. Uh, 
each one a separate covenant, but all together a revelation of God's plan, uh, but an increasing revelation till we get to the totality again, which we see in in Jesus in the new covenant. So uh, if you don't, I'm trying to describe it since I don't have the ability to draw on the board and show you again, but it's these small donut next to the bigger donut, bigger donut, five of them, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus, the, the covenants that God chooses to reveal himself. And so uh, we'll, we'll pr- continue with that. And uh, our goal will be that we will have class done and recorded before Wednesday evening. So by seven o'clock Wednesday evening, it'll be online. And uh, even though you can't, we can't actually meet together, the time you've set aside, uh, you can still access. And if you have any questions, give me a call. Uh, well, we're not really supposed to be getting together in larger groups right now. Uh, and we appreciate that. We appreciate the, the government uh, where we live and what they're doing to get ahead of this. Uh, we can get together in smaller groups. And uh, if we have questions, we can get together and talk or we can talk on the phone. So we're not limited from seeing each other com- completely. Though if you are a high-risk person, I would encourage you to to stay fairly isolated until the majority of this is taken care of. Don't know how long this will continue, but we will continue with this format for the class uh, for the next few weeks anyway until we see what happens. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just as you begin to reveal yourself to us, we ask that we'd be able to see Our eyes would be open, Lord, where we've had filters, where we've had uh, things that we've been taught that weren't actually your word, that you'd open our eyes and bring revelation and we'd see you as you really are. Thank you that there's so much more uh, in your word and that we'll spend literally the rest of our lives mining the, uh, the riches that you've given us in your word and your revelation of yourself. Pray your blessing on everyone who's a part of this and listening in Jesus' name. Amen.